If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the GC Sunscast, a Gold Coast Sun show by fans for fans. I'm your host Shane and I'd like to start the show off by thanking our Patreon donors, Dale Snelling, Jack's dad, Paul Vosti, Tom Kim, Brody Burgess, Kate Kelland, Chris Moore, Robbie Fiorini and Tim. Thanks for all your support guys and uh, keeping the show going. Um, let's start the show off by introducing our special guest, Michael Fish Whiting. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, Shane. Thanks for asking me on, mate. Um, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's good to have you on. For those that haven't been across what you do, just give us a, a quick rundown of your past 10 years in the AFL journalism uh, system. Yeah, yep. So, I've been with um, afl.com.au, the AFL website, since... Uh, full-time since 2011 I came in the first game I covered as a full-time general actually was the the Q clap the first ever Q clash so it was a great um great memory for Suns fans for sure that was my first full-time game and ever since then I've been with the website um I did a couple of years casual in the lead up to that just covering um home games for Brisbane Lions but yeah they had the full-time job for yeah nine years now I'm as old as the Suns almost so, did you go into that Q clash uh, with a preferred team, a, a favourite team to support, or did you make up your mind after that? Yeah, well, mate, I grew up in Brisbane, so I was definitely a Brisbane supporter um, through oh, probably from the mid-90s, basically, when I always kept an eye on Brisbane, and then when they moved to Brisbane, came to the Gabba, I started becoming a bit more of a oh, fully-fledged fan, I'd say, so... That first Q clash, I was definitely a Brisbane fan, but as the years go on and I became a full-time in the role, I found it really easy to distance myself from both clubs. And Over the years, you get so many good friends at both clubs. I genuinely want to see them both do well, so I've probably morphed into a fan of both over the years. Yeah, well, that's understandable. It came across a couple of years ago. Actually, when I started this show, I was inspired by a podcast that you and uh, your mate Andrew Hamilton were doing, uh, I think it was called Northern Exposure, and you yeah. guys really um, sold the the state of Queensland football in in that podcast. Not only talking about Brisbane and Gold Coast, but developing into the local leagues, talking about Aspley and Southport and all those other sort of mm. uh, smaller clubs. Yeah, it was something. I mean, we probably got to know each other. It's funny because we're we work for rival companies. Hamo's obviously with News Limited, Korea Mail for a long, long time, and I was with um, the AFL website. But we formed a pretty good friendship over the years, even though we work for, for rival companies. And um, it got pitched to us one day that maybe we should give it a try and see how it went because not too many people sort of had as much exposure to Queensland footy as what we had at the time. So um, we gave it a crack and genuinely really enjoyed it and it's probably a shame it sort of fell a bit flat towards the end we're both pretty um hopeless when it comes to the technical side of things we had some people helping us and 
couple of um, disastrous shows that we recorded that didn't actually record. So uh, we just struggled to get a time to record together and um, just became a bit too much of a – we just couldn't line things up in the end. It was a bit of a shame because we're still good friends to this day, me and Hamo, and um, maybe one day in the future, but it was a bit of a shame that we had to, yeah, I guess, essentially pull the plug on it. Okay. I'd like to get Hamilton on the show one day as well, but uh, maybe uh, I can help facilitate a, a reunion of sorts. Well, all right, we might be a chance, but I don't. probably not many people in the public would know this just yet, but as we know, 2020 is pretty bizarre with the COVID-19 and everything that's fallen out from that. And one of the, to me, one of the most bizarre um, things that have happened this year is Hamo um, finished up at the Courier Mail at the end of last season. He had enough of covering footy, and it turns out that he's been brought back by the Brisbane Lions to be their media manager. So he's got the Lions polo on at the moment, which is um, would be quite amusing to plenty of fans out there, but he's just doing it um, short term, I think, for this season. <laughs> so it's... Um, I reckon we might be a chance to get him on one day, but maybe not this season. <laughs> yeah, might have to hold out on that. Anyway, um, you've you've done some really good articles over the last few years in relation to the Suns. Um, one that comes to mind specifically was your camp. Uh, you went with the mm. Suns to the New Zealand camp last year, and we heard that was basically the only way Suns fans got a taste of what was actually going on. We'd heard all the hype of Lacocious and Rankin and King, and it wasn't until your articles started coming out that we were able to get a glimpse of how they were uh, fitting in with the mm. Suns. And the, the, I think the, the positivity and everything that came from that camp set us up for the whole year. Yeah, well, thanks for the compliment first. But I'm sort of glad it came across that way. And I think sometimes those things aren't obvious and the the fruit of the hard work of those camps and what goes before them isn't obvious straight away and maybe it takes 12 months and we're seeing a little bit of the rewards for that this year but um, it's the closest exposure I'd ever had to the team getting to spend five days with them in New Zealand was an amazing trip they hardly picked up a footy the whole time Um, I think there was one footy session that lasted about an hour they were just kicking a few footies around but everything else was I, I use this term loosely, but it was it was bonding in the sense of trekking, hiking, camping, um, a lot of team building stuff, which sometimes sounds like rhetoric from the outside, but they were genuinely, genuinely close team. And you mentioned the three draftees that year. Like I was keeping a, you know, keeping a reasonable eye on them as much as you can when there's forty five players. But Isaac Rankin took me straight away. <laughs> He's just so bubbly, and he'd only been at the club for maybe not even two weeks and he was there was a, a sponsor on the trip with his son and Isaac was playing with the 10 year old kid and he muck around with his teammates and he fitted in so quick and whenever I whenever I heard talk about kids wanting to go home or Isaac might go back to South Australia or Ben King was unsure uh, I always thought that was BS because they were just accepted so quickly and fitted in so quickly into that group and that camp was a great insight to that yeah, that's definitely the vibe we got coming through your articles. Um, uh, as a Suns fan getting around, I certainly had to deal with a lot of Adelaide supporters throwing it back that those sort of blokes are just going to be coming straight back home and same with King as well. Uh, but it, they've really turned the corner last year with the retention and 
uh, creating a positive atmosphere. And there was an article earlier this year. I don't think you wrote it, though, however, about uh, what Stuart Jew brought back to the club being the positivity and uh, bringing the fun back to the football. Um, he, yeah, sorry, mate. No, that's right. off, I, no I, I didn't write that, but I reckon that's a good point. Whoever wrote that is spot on because Stewie, in some ways, this, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but he, in some ways he's like a big kid like on that camp, at training, he mucks around, he fits in with the group. He can put the hammer down when he needs to, but I was a bit unsure how he'd walk the line at the start, but um, it's become pretty obvious that he's able to walk the line between being a mate and being a coach, and I think he's done that really well so far. Yeah, so you, you've had a bit to do, like you've caught up with Stuart a couple of times outside of uh, the club? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've um, dealt with him a fair bit. Um, uh, recently, like four months ago, I got stood down from my role with the AFL website, and I've just got put back on this week, actually, but... Um, one of the first people to contact me was Stuart, which I thought was pretty um, like big of him. Like coaches don't have to contact journos just because they're having a rough trot with work or whatever. But um, and I'm not trying to make that sound like a hero story or anything, but I just think it's a mark of a like the mark of the guy that's leading the Gold Coast Suns that he's thinking about someone outside of his own club that might be having a tough time, and he got in touch. So um, yeah, I, I think he's a terrific bloke. Yeah, did you did you jump in and join them on the New Zealand camp? I know you're really big in your running. Did you join them? I remember there was a lot of running up that mountain. Well, they did. There was a huge hike yep. um, one day. So we we hiked. Uh, I think it was sixteen or seventeen k's, and the and the weather was terrible. It was uh, raining and windy at the top. So we had to we actually had to turn around before we got to the top. We came back and. Honestly, we'd been back at the hotel for five minutes and the call went round the group from the fitness boss, Alex Rigby, to meet in the uh, foyer. The whole team came back to the foyer and we set off on a run up uh, the Queenstown Hill, which is right near the city. It was uh, only a couple of kilometres, but it was steep. It was so hard and um, it was to challenge the players. Um, they all embraced. I love it because, like you touched on there, I'm, oh, I love my running and I'm, um, it's a passion of mine. Um, has been for a long time so I loved it I wanted to see how they responded they all took the challenge head on um, I think a day or two before that we did a 30 minute run together mainly the midfielders and the half forwards but there wasn't a ton of running there was a lot of hiking though so but yeah I took part in everything oh that's good um, yeah you've I'm pretty sure some players have joined you since then running or is that just the Brisbane players I've got in my mind no, nah, so I did one session with Brisbane yep. in their last preseason. Um, there is a squad on the Gold Coast, uh, the Gold Coast Run Co, who I know a lot of the Suns players have gone and trained with in their off season. So in around um, right throughout October, early November, um, that squad's run by a mate of mine, actually Jackson Elliott. So a, a lot of those guys go to that run squad. Um, I think they had as many as fifteen or twenty players there during mm. the off season. So. Yeah, they um they take it serious, that's for sure. Well, that's good. I probably need to take some running seriously. I might get some pointers a few after this. <laughs> uh, not not for a while though. I sprained my ankle pretty badly a, a couple of months ago. It's still recovering. It's still a bit swollen. So it was one of those really nasty sprains. They take time. They, they do. can take time. Yeah, yeah, ligaments and everything there. Yeah, they, they don't heal quick. 
Okay, so the other article, well, oh, there's two. The, there was one last year you did with um, why the Suns decided to let go of Jared Lyons to Brisbane. And you brought up some really, really good valid points that we here on the GC Suns cast had been promoting for most of the season since that trade. Uh, so we felt kind of justified and validated what we've been saying when a professional such as yourself comes out and says, well, these are actually the reasons and it makes sense. Yeah, sometimes I think people get caught up. Like That trade probably works out as totally understand why Gold Coast um, didn't need Jared <laughs> mm. and no longer needed him and totally understand why Brisbane wanted to snap him up. Sometimes... Um, I'm not saying this is Jarrett. Like sometimes the square peg doesn't fit in the round hole, and that was a, probably a little bit um, the way Jared was at the Suns. Um, number of reasons, and I'm sure you've gone over them on the podcast. But was, like, I didn't think it was a bad decision at all at the time, and I could totally understand why the Suns did it. Yeah, it's very similar to the Jack Martin situ- uh, situation that's playing out this year. Um, he's having a great year at Carlton and I yeah. think it's a similar situation. He's just in a better lifestyle, a better environment for yeah. him personally than what he was up up here. Exactly, mate. You're not going to... like the, And it's not... It, sometimes it's not a fault of the club. You're just not going to have 45 or in Gold Coast's case this year, 50 or 51 players absolutely loving life in their environment because not everyone gets the same opportunities, the same role, the same whatever. So occasionally there'll be a player that, you know, gets an opportunity in an environment elsewhere that suits them better. So um, I don't think it's a big surprise to, or maybe it is a surprise to some people that listen to this, but my favourite player is Jack Martin. I was gutted to see him go, but I could totally understand why the club let him go and why he wanted to look elsewhere. Hmm. Well, um, the other article I wanted to touch on was a, a bit of a cult hero at the Suns, especially this year, Nick Coleman. You, you did that recently, the other week, and uh, it really highlighted a lot of the defensive efforts. And I think, no, it was after the game where it was all over the the Fox, uh, the sports sites yes. and everything, yep. where he'd done multiple chases and resulted in a goal. And... Um, it, it, were you working on that before that game? Like, was this a piece that was in the making prior to all that? I, he's a guy I'd had in mind for a while, but almost wanted to wait for um, something to hook it on. So I guess that was the hook for me to get to get a story up on Nick. Yeah, I, I felt like that was a, an easier way to justify and illustrate it to people. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was a really good article and like... like the hook obviously worked. It it was a um, a great time to to put an article like that out on the underrated Nick Holman, and um, I think more people are aware of just what he does. Previously, I remember a lot of Suns fans calling for him to be dropped specifically, and I'm thinking, well, this bloke is like a, a defensive key in our mm. side, and we need his grunt. We need him to do the basics. Like, we don't have anyone that can replace that. So, um, no, it was good to, to see. Once again, I felt a bit justified with my comments. Yeah, well, you're on the money because I, I can tell you he is... <laughs> it's not the reason he gets in the team. He is one of Stuart Jew's favourite players. Like, no question. He loves what Nick Holman brings to the team. And it's great that you've spotted that and highlighted it to the listeners because um, he, he is crucial. He, 
and he's so versatile. He obviously brings defensive pressure. He brings grunt. He can tag if the if Gold Coast is desperate to tag someone and shut someone down. He can play that role. Um, he, I think he is he's okay with the ball. Um, I think that's an area of his game that he can still develop, like that offense. I think he might have mentioned that that article. He can develop that part of his game, but I think that's within him. So, yeah, he's a he's a crucial player. Yeah, so that article went up on the Gold Coast Suns website, but I believe originally it was for your Patreon that you've been doing since you were let off, let go from AFL earlier this year. Um, yeah. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Whiting is where you can find that, and you're doing quite well for yourself out of that Patreon. There's a lot of great articles there for free and also for members, uh, not just on Gold Coast, but Brisbane as well. Yeah, um, I just, I guess I got stood, once the season resumed and I got stood down from work again, I was, I just wanted to write. Like, I love talking about Gold Coast and Brisbane clubs and Queensland footy. That's what I know and that's my, it's been my job for so long. And there's just such a hole in the market up here at the moment because a lot of journalists have been stood down or made redundant and just felt like there was no one writing anything about the two clubs and um, they were both, they were both obviously going so well. So I started up Patreon and um, got an f- amazing response and um, I think it's been going for three or four weeks now and got a lot of positive feedback. So I'm back at work, but I fully intend to keep it going. I love the platform. gives me a little bit more freedom and a touch more creativity than I might have in my full-time role and anything that our website doesn't want to use, I'll happily um, explore and expand and throw up on Patreon. Well, I love the name for that, Bigger Fish to Fry. So, <laughs> n- nice little pun there. Yeah, thanks. I thought I had to throw something with fish in there. That's what everyone in the footy industry calls me, so I thought I'd better use it to my advantage. <laughs> well, uh, I urge people to go and check out that site. It's really quite well, patreon.com forward slash Michael Whiting, and, yeah, some beautiful articles on there, uh, obviously from a Queensland perspective. Uh, which is what a lot of our fans like to hear. Um, so let's finish up. What is your memorable moment with the Suns? Okay, so I thought of this. I don't know if this is the um, the tack that most people would want to hear, but <laughs> I thought about this earlier today and um, maybe for the wrong reasons, but one of my more memorable moments covering the Suns was very early in Rodney Ede's coaching tenure. Um when Harley Bennell, Trent McKenzie, Brandon Matera and Danny Stanley, I think, were suspended for a match for drinking, uh, I think it was six days before a game or something, they went to a, they went to a fight on a Sunday and um, as in a pay-per-view fight, um, had a couple of drinks and they were suspended for a match. And I remember uh, Rocket, uh, Marcus Ashcroft, the footy manager, there was a whole heap of Suns personnel, had called in myself Hamo and I think there was one other journo to brief us on what was about to go down the fact that these players were going to get suspended and this was why so sometimes clubs will do that they'll brief journalists to give them background information and um, so that we've got a clearer picture rather than just the, the headline or the sanction I remember walking in there it was I'd hardly hardly knew Rocket it was only sort of a couple of months into his tenure and and uh, I can't remember why Gary Ablett wasn't in there but he was the captain at the time, and Michael Riscatelli was sent in um, to basically uh, speak on behalf of the players. And I just remember Rish absolutely 
I'd say giving it to the four players, but it was just to us journalists. The language was very colourful and it wasn't too complimentary to those four players. And I just remember walking out of there thinking, mate, I would not want to get on Risky Telly's bad side because um, I think Guy McKenna called him the toe cutter and I reckon that was about right. He's a, he was a hard man and I remember walking out of there thinking he's a bloody great leader for this footy club and uh, the longer he sticks around, the better. So that might not be... A happy memorable but it was just something that stuck in my head so I'm not, not sure if that's for what you were going for but <laughs> it was just a little story I could re- recall. No that's great uh, I'd love to to know more about that sort of stuff how how does it feel getting a phone call to go into the club like is that a regular thing or straight away you're thinking alright something's going on here? No I, that day I think um, they had a press conference at um, I forget the time, it was about five years ago, but maybe the press conference was at two o'clock and I got a call maybe at 11 or 12 or maybe 11 o'clock and the club said, um, mate, you might want to get down here a bit earlier because um, we've got some news that we need to share with you guys beforehand. So when you hear that, you know it's serious. So you're, um, I mean, I live in Brisbane, so it was get down to Gold Coast as quick as you can and um, get to the club. So that doesn't happen very often though. Um, sometimes... Pre-season, you'll have briefings with clubs where you'll get the coach, the CEO, and the footy manager. We'll sit around and have a chat with journalists, and you'll get a bit, a little bit of information off the record. Once again, it's mainly just background on why decisions are made or um, thought processes for the year ahead. And you can be, a, they can be a bit more candid with you, knowing that it's not going to get published. So, yeah, I, I've I had say it's a once or twice a year thing. Yeah, I've had similar experiences myself with uh, Mark Evans where I was actually surprised the amount of information he divulged to me. Uh, but, of course, it was made clear it was off the record. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah they're, they're really quite open when they know that, well, at least when they think nothing's going to come see the light of day. Uh, yeah, they are. And I think, Shane, the thing is there too, like if they also know that if you break their trust once, that's probably it for you as well so I think they know that that information sometimes they're probably giving it to you as a test but they're generally telling it to you because they trust you so um, yeah I don't know where I'm going with that other than yeah I think if you break it once that's it you're not going to be let back in again that's for sure I didn't think I broke it but Mark Evans won't take any of my calls anymore (laughs) (laughs) maybe I have Um, All right. so moving on what was your favourite son's win When you get behind the wheel of a Toyota Highlander XSE, magical moments are always right around the corner. One second you're using all-wheel drive to climb up a steep trail on the outskirts of town, when suddenly you make it to a clearing at the very top and see a view of your side of town that takes your breath away. Wait a minute, that's our block? Mm Mm-hmm. The west side never looks so good. Make the most of each moment with a powerfully capable Toyota SUV like the Highlander XSE. Toyota, let's go places. So there's two for me. I think one of the more obvious ones probably was the Collingwood win in 2014 when Gaz did his shoulder and there was no players on the bench by the end of the game. Um, That was like the heroic win. But a more recent one that sticks out to me, maybe not so obvious, um, was the win against Fremantle last year in round two. Gold Coast had been written off. I think Matthew Lloyd said they weren't going to win a game. It was the maybe because it was the first home game into what was supposedly this new era with uh, 
you know, Lacocious was playing King and Rankin weren't at that stage, but um, it was this backs against the wall victory. I remember going into the dressing room um, straight after the game, and I would say it was like they won the grand final, and that's not to, meant to be a knock on the Gold Coast, but I remember the feeling in that change room was unlike any other that I can remember. Just the euphoria, the celebration. Um, Tony Cochran was running around like a like a headless chook like he often does. Uh, uh, Mark Evans was as pleased as I've ever seen him. Um, it's probably not one that's going to stick in the memories 10 years down the track, but it's one I'll remember because of the euphoria in the change rooms afterwards. Yeah, that game is definitely one of the favourites for a lot of Suns fans. Um, so you mentioned earlier... Jack Martin was your favourite Suns player. Do you have a current player that you, you're quite warming to? Um, yeah, I would say my favourite... So there's probably a distinction here. My yep. favourite person to deal with is Sam Collins. Um, I love Sam. He's just an, such a genuine bloke. I really want to see him do well, and he is. Uh, and the guy I really want to see well that I think... Going to take over from Jack Martin for me is Benny Ainsworth. Um, I love he's got a little bit of spunk about him. Um, he hasn't quite reached the heights that most Suns fans, I'm sure, would hope he's going to get to one day. He's got flair, he's got tenacity. Um, I love watching him play. So he's probably my favourite player, and Sammy's probably the guy I love dealing with the most. Oh, fantastic. All right. Um, well, we should actually get stuck into the review from the Melbourne game. We've spent half the episode uh, having a nice Sorry, little mate, chat. I do love to chat. No, no, <laughs> I love it. It's uh, something different for this show, but I'm sure it will go down well with the fans. Um, so let's get stuck into this game. So Gold Coast Suns were defeated by Melbourne. Nine goals, nine, 63 to 12 goals, 80, 17-point loss there. Rankin kicked three goals, Ellis with the two. Now, it wasn't a bad game of football. Uh, it was actually really neck and neck up until the final few minutes, but Melbourne were able to get a couple of late goals there to stretch the margin out. Um, what did you think of it? Did you think the they've improved, or do you think it was sort of a step back from the last couple of weeks? I probably thought it was a slight step back, um, if I'm being real nitpicky. It's probably a good sign. That means that the standard generally is improved. I sort of felt like the Suns were clinging on for a lot of the match. They were really efficient, or they were dangerous when they went forward, maybe more so than efficient, but just being beaten around the ball pretty comprehensively. I think Maxi Gorn got the best of Jared Witts, and it sort of flowed on from there around the ball. Um, and I'm sure you're going to get to this, but the mistakes coming out of the back line were, were pretty frustrating. Um so I just felt like Gold Coast was sort of clinging on a lot of the game rather than um, having that ascendancy and looking like winners. So, but like you said, I mean, they were within a kick with five minutes to go and, and had a chance to hit the front. So that's a positive. Yeah, the disposal coming out of defence was, was not great. Um, and a lot of our senior heads, Hanley and Harbrow, were down there. They weren't doing too good, but we also had Butterick making a few mistakes as well. Um I felt like we were being led up the ground and they were being able to get behind us and get goals out the back quite easily as well. Um, the only other thing I would... Oh, well, they're able to take 12 marks in defensive 50, um, which is quite high. 
Uh, it's probably, I mean, Ballard and Collins did a great job intercepting and they were probably one of the team's bests. I think it highlights more so the midfield, lack of midfield pressure allowing Melbourne to get some easy inside 50s. Yeah, I reckon that's a pretty good summation. And Collins and Ballard were fantastic, by the way, which is you probably don't want your two key defenders as you know two of your best five players, but um, they sort of held things up when it could have got out of control. But, yeah, I think it's a pretty valid point about the midfield pressure being a fraction down on what it had been previous weeks. Yeah, well, you mentioned Gorn and Wits. I mean, that was a key matchup I mentioned last week, and mm-hmm. that didn't pan out. Uh, Gorn towed up Wits, and Wits looked quite sore and beaten, mm-hmm. I thought. Uh, and our midfield didn't really help. Uh, we were well beaten in clearances, 32-21, to 21, and our contested possession was way down. Uh, so Melbourne's midfield really had the, the dominance there and that put a lot of pressure on our defenders and our forwards who weren't able to get any sort of connection. I felt like the only player in our forward line that looked dangerous pretty much all game was Isaac Rankin. Uh, yeah, Day and amazing, King. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he did. And particularly as the match wore on, like I felt like by the time it got to halfway through the third quarter, the rest of the way... He was almost the only one that looked like doing anything, and whenever it went in his area, it looked like something was going to happen. Um, like a testament to him, but obviously you don't want to hang your chances on a first-game player all mm. the time. It, it is a little concerning that Day and King or even Ainsworth and Sexton weren't really anywhere to be seen. Um, we were basically relying to get an, a stoppage and then hoping that Rankin could do something pretty special in the later stages of that game. Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, I just said Benny Ainsworth, one of my favourite players, but um, he's just still got... Not unlike Jack Martin in this regard, actually. He has a tendency to drift in and out a little bit, does one or two good things, and you might not see him for a quarter. Probably a bit more consistency from Benny would be nice, although he plays in a difficult spot. And Seco definitely struggled a lot the other night. He's... Not, he's certainly not off to the fast start that he was off to last year, that's for sure. Mm. All right, well, let's get into our first segment, Incredible Ridiculous. This is incredible! So the first one I'd like to point out was Isaac Rankin, obviously. Uh, three goals, three on his debut, and I think every single one of those goals could have been considered goal of the year nominations. Yeah, I reckon. I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna have to carry the can on this section, Shane, because I couldn't get past Isaac Rankin. <laughs> his, his goals, and I, I'm sure you'll get to it later. The goal of the year, but I, I thought he's. I mean, all three of them were incredible in different ways. Um, I was almost surprised they went with the second one, actually, which is not a knock on that goal. But every, all three of those, he could have had all three nominations this week. Yeah. I don't think that would have ever happened. I don't think the AFL would allow that, would they? No, I don't think they would either. But yeah. uh, you could almost make almost make a case for that. They were um, the third one was probably the least spectacular, but that was uh, my favourite. The, the, it was the anticipation, yeah. the way he just read what Max Gorn was going to do, and I saw a clip with him on the Suns website um, last night saying that he saw Max Gorn's eyes. I thought, mate, this kid is special. <laughs> if you're looking at the opposition ruckman's eyes and can tell where he's going to tap it, yeah, and able to shark it, that's 
that's a skill not many players have or an awareness that not many players have. And he was still a bit fumbly. All of his goals uh, was, mm. was from included fumbles from him. So he was still finding his feet and trying to find the, the speed of the play. Um, so all of those goals, like there was definitely room to improve with his play. And then his defensive pressure, he had 14 pressure acts and eight score involvements. That's, that's pretty impressive uh, from a small forward and the first gamer. Mate, 14 pressure acts is really good yeah. for a guy in his position. Um, I don't know what a league average is for a, for a small forward, but that's, that's, I know that's very high. Um, that was a standout quality of his for sure. You touched on the speed of the game for him. He got, he got caught a couple of times at the ball, but uh, that's no big deal to me. I love seeing him take the game on, so um, he'll get better the more games he plays, obviously. Yeah, well, the... Um... Yeah, he was just great, great to watch. It brought a real spark to the side. And uh, I I went into one of my customers on last week and I was telling her, look out for this kid, Isaac Rankin. He's going to be a superstar. Don't worry about Matty Rowell. And uh, <laughs> she, came, she came and saw me Monday and she goes, I didn't know who you were talking about last week. I do now. So <laughs> it, it's, the word has definitely got out about how special this kid is. Yeah, the cat's out of the bag. It's a shame we can't see Matty Rowell and Isaac in the same team, but um, that'll have to wait till next year, I guess. All right, time for the ridiculous. This is ridiculous! This is- so, I, I think it, it results in the, the... We discussed this before, the disposal coming out of the back line, but the turnovers in our defensive 50 that directly resulted in goals, again, there was just way too many. We ha- I touched on this last week against Geelong. I thought it was an issue. I think we had four or five. This week, there were, I think Stuart Jew mentioned there were eight. It's so many, and they were so glaring, and nearly everyone was a... Most of the players in the back line would have been part of one of them, I think. Like, Butterick's was the most glaring one, kicking it straight into Christian Salem on the mark, and it went straight back over his head for a goal. I think Jack Bowes, um, uncharacteristically, I would say, turned one over straight to Angus Brayshaw. Thankfully, Brayshaw missed, but um, Lacocious had one smothered 10 or 15 metres out from goal. Again, I think that was turned into a stoppage more than a direct goal, but there was so many um, almost lackadaisical turnovers, just like almost a lack of care. I mean, Isaac turned one over Mm. that Bailey Fritch marked and kicked the goal from, Um, so we're not going to pin him too much. He kicked 3-3 himself, but... So I don't know if some of it was decision-making, some of it was a little bit of a lack of care, but it was a lot of players doing it far too often. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I hope the Suns can uh, iron this out because it's incredibly frustrating. But one of the articles you put on your Patreon I was reading, and it's basically a result of the, the fast game style that the Suns are trying to play, the, mm. the play on, the move the ball, and they're going to make skill errors. They're going to make poor decisions. And I think this is a direct result of that. Uh, hopefully, over time, as the players mature, this sort of stuff gets ironed out and they can read the play better and make better decisions. Yeah, and so, and some of it is speed of the game. Like, we forget that Connor Butterick's only played six games. Like, he sort of looks like a pretty accomplished footballer, but the space that guys give him on the mark isn't the same as it is in under-18s. And, I mean, Jack Lacocious has only played 25 games or 27 games and it's easy to forget that a lot of these guys are 
still probably adjusting. A lot of experienced footballers say it's 50 or 80 games before you truly get the speed of the game and feel comfortable at the top level. So, um, I mean, it's a bit of pain now and you, you'd hope that they'll learn and it'll be um, like they'll be fine long-term. It's a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. Mm. All right. Is there any negatives you want to add to it or we'll move on to the top three? No, I'll move, mate, the turnovers. That's it. For All me. right. Well, let's go into the top three. So uh, three votes, I think it's a no-brainer. I'm giving it to Isaac Rankin. Three goals, three, 12 disposals, 14 pressure acts, eight score invo- involvements, and I think we've done enough talking of him at the moment. <laughs> Uh, two votes I'm going to Tuke Miller 23 disposals 91% efficiency he was clearly our best midfielder and one vote to Ballard 15 disposals 7 marks and he had quite a few intercepts as well teaming up with Collins uh, really really patrolled the back line quite well and is clearly one of our, our best key defenders yeah can't argue with any of those um just love Charlie Ballard's development. I had to check the other day. He's still only 20. I think he turns 21 later this month. But um, I think the second and third quarter, I don't know how many of those marks were intercepts, but it felt like him and Sam Collins were holding up the damn wall there for a while. And the way he can read the play and drift across the front of packs, and I just couldn't be more impressed by the development, the steps he's taken in the last two years. Mm. So do you have a uh, top three to bring to the table today? I can't, honestly, I can't argue with the three, two, one you just gave. I thought about going two to Ballard and one to Miller, but I think the order you've got is correct. I'd be going the same as you. All right. Well, let's move into the next segment, play of the game. Play of the game. So it, I was thinking, all right, we'll go with one of Rankin's goals, but after going through it all, I realized, no, what I think is the play of the game was Rankin's dummy handball to Ellis for that snap goal. So <laughs> he he tried to take on, he'd, I think he'd taken the mark or got the free kick. He tried to take on the, the Melbourne player and got tackled and the Melbourne player happened to get him high. So he got another tack, uh, free kick. This time he was just like, holding the ball out in front of this player and eventually just popped it over to Ellis who snapped around and kicked it on the, what would have been 45, 50 out? Yeah, yep, yep. Ridiculous goal in its own, but the cheek of Rankin. <laughs> so it, it really shows his character. He'd come in, he's going to be a, a fun player to watch. He's going to have that smart aleck, that cheek, and yep. the skill to back it up. And, mate, and that's his personality. Like, <laughs> he's just a cheeky little fellow that's buzzing around all the time, cracking jokes, like smiling, joking, and he brings that joy to the field. Mm. Um, that's, a, that's a great play of the game. I have to go with one of his goals. I'm going with my favourite goal of his, his first one. I know you just mentioned before that you like the roving of Gorns, but I love the skill of bouncing the ball back to himself like it was a basketball. I just... It just mesmerised me seeing that, that he'd bounce a ball back to himself, sidestep, not even look at the goals and snap it. I just I couldn't get past that. I could watch it all. I could watch it a hundred times. Yeah, it's it's. I'm yeah. I'm looking I've, forward to I've what he for can the do. Cheap, the easy one. Yeah. I know, but uh, <laughs> no, love Isaac Rankin. Looking forward to more highlights that we're going to get this year. 
Uh, so if we jump into the news, we have the round eight fixture revealed and the Suns finally play their first ever Thursday night game. So their first ever primetime slot uh, for quite a while. I think we may have had a primetime slot in our debut year. But um, yeah, 23rd of July, Thursday night at Metricon versus the Dogs, a five-day turnaround from the Sydney game. So it's going to be interesting how that one plays out. Yeah, it will be. I think... Um I haven't checked today, but I know when that fixture came out on Monday um, afternoon or Monday night that it was a Foxtel game and not a Channel 7 game. So I think it's going to be shown on 7 mate. If that's the case, I think Channel 7's missing a trick there. I don't know how the broadcast broadcasters have figured out who gets what games in that round, but um, I'll tell you what, if I was Channel 7, I'd be pretty keen to have the Suns and Isaac Rankin on my screen, that's for sure. But it's a big... Um, win for the Suns to have a Thursday night uh, and the Dogs pretty up and down this year um, but they're an exciting team as well so yeah I'm, I'll be looking forward to that one yeah looking forward to that I'm not sure if I can go I've got to work at about five o'clock on Friday morning so uh, Ooh, it's going to be a big night a quick turnaround yeah um, we have goal of the year and mark of the year nominations Rankin's second goal off the ground is goal of the year as we mentioned and Greenwood's one-handed mark of the year early in that first quarter um, so hopefully our fans get around and support those guys and we can get one of them a, a nomination to go through to the end of the season for that and Isaac Rankin is the rising star for this round the third for the Sun so far not bad three out of six not bad at all <laughs> Um, all right, we are running short on time, so we might bypass the Sydney preview for next week. I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, Michael. Um, well, I think I've asked this. Who do you barrack for in Q Clash? I think that's a 50-50 sort of question, it is, isn't it? It is, mate. I go for the better story, so if oh, that's the truth. Um if one team's going for the finals like last year, I would have been hoping Brisbane would win because I wanted to see a team play finals. Maybe after Nick Robinson lipped off a couple of years ago, I probably hoped the Suns came out and um, fired up and made it, made it a good clash, which they did on that occasion. So, yeah, I'm a bit of a fence-sitter. Yeah, there does, for the story. there does seem to be good stories when it comes to the Q clash, doesn't it? Mo- manufactured early, but then I think we've had a couple of incidents which which really make it add a bit of spice to it. I can't wait until they're both super competitive. I mean, if there was a Q clash in the next couple of weeks and both teams are sort of in the top eight when there's some genuine stakes on the line, I think that'll help take it to another level. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Second question. Post-COVID-19, do you think there will be more jobs for AFL media in Queensland with more games being played at the moment and hopefully two successful Queensland teams? Yeah, I thought about... I'm not sure. I I don't want to... Sit on the. I'd love to give a more definitive answer, but just the economic toll of COVID is, um, I guess, yet to be fully. Um, we're yet to find the full ramifications of it. I know the Courier Mail has laid off a lot of people. The Gold Coast Bullies had to shed people. Uh, um, I guess your traditional media outlets have, have have had to cut back. So I think there'll always be jobs in footy, though. Um, it's a like it's a thriving industry and it'll lose money this year and the next couple of years, but I think long-term footy will be fine. So I would say, yes, there'll be more jobs than what there is currently at the moment, but it might take two or three years. Yeah, okay. 
uh, I guess I won't be breaking into AFL media anytime soon then. Um, Mate, it's tough. It's tight at the moment, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> um, and finally, I think this uh, question, I'll have to paraphrase this one because I think this question was pointed out to maybe something you said in a, a year or two ago. Do you feel the holes in the Suns list has finally been filled? So did you say something a couple of years ago? Maybe... Was I popping someone? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I can't remember that one. But I did think about this. Um, I think this, the list is close, but there's still a couple of small holes, I, I think. What, um, what positions do you think they are? I think... So I look at, I look at tall forwards. There's uh, King Day and Peter Wright. Um that's enough, but I don't think there's anything beyond that. Um, so I sort of think that's a more depth than anything. Mm-hmm. They're struggling a bit there. Same as the tall defenders. Collins and Ballard look great, but beyond that, there's Caleb Graham, unproven, and and Rory, who, you know, obviously so many injury troubles, we don't know how he's going to come back. So that's just a little thin for me. Uh, and one other area of concern I've got is probably that small small defenders, halfbacks and small defenders. So I think we're yet to see like whether Jez McLennan or Jeremy Sharp can come through. Um, so I sort of think long-term you'd like Butterick and Bose to play in the midfield eventually. I mean, mm. they're doing fantastic jobs in the back line at the moment, but I think you'd eventually like to see them play in the midfield. And obviously Harbs and Pierce have got a lot of time left in their careers. So yeah. that's another part of the ground I think it, um, they're a little bit thin on. All right. Well, that does us for time. So thank you for joining us on the show, Michael, and uh, hopefully we can have you on in the future. Yeah, mate, no worries. Anytime. Hopefully I didn't rabbit on too much. No worries. Go, sons. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com.